That's right, guys. The boys are back. Merle and Larry. What's up, guys? Hey, we got an awesome episode for you today. Got a little true crime with a new theory. But before we get to our story, I'd like to start off with a weird news article we got going on here. It's going to be from a story happened on July 17th of this year. We got... <coughs> This is bear attempts to steal trash dumpster from Colorado pot dispensary. <laughs> the bear hangs around the dispensary so much that employees have named it Cheeseburger. Wow. <laughs> Humans aren't the only creatures going ape at the Colorado pot dispensary. So are bears. On Tuesday, Colorado Parks and Wildlife posted a video of a buzz-seeking buzz bear breaking into a pot dispensary in Lyons and attempted to steal a dumpster. The footage taken July 17 at a place called the Bud Depot <laughs> showed the bear trying to remove the dumpster from its holding area. It was unable to open it according to the daily camera. Inside of addition, speculated that the contents in the dumpster may have given the bear the munchies. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Pod Depot manager Nico Garza wasn't high on that theory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just boxes. It's none of the fun stuff like you would imagine. She told the local station. She said that the bud-friendly bear is a regular visitor to the depot so much that the staff had named it Cheeseburger. He said that the bear's actions reminded him of his co-workers of another local fixture, the hotel where The Shining was filmed. Mm. That's pretty awesome. The bear busted through the through like the shiny, which is <laughs> iconic because of the Stanley Hotel. It's only twenty minutes up the road. Oh wow. That was somewhere I'd really like to go. I just thought that was kinda kinda crazy that it is. bear trying to yeah. steal a dumpster. I wonder if the bear is like a blonde on top and like brown on the bottom, so that's recently named cheeseburger. <laughs> so Yeah. Could be. It says, um, everybody wants to work at a cannabis shop. He's just showing an issue. That's it. <laughs> but, yeah, we just want, I just want to get that little little story out of the way. Um, but we do. We've got a really awesome episode today, guys. Um, so we're going to go ahead and uh, introduce this episode for you. chambers, secret passageways, vats of acid, and deadly vaults. Sprawling castle of H.H. Holmes. Alrighty guys, that's right, H.H. Holmes, America's first serial killer. Merle, what are your thoughts on this one? Man, I, I've got all kinds of crazy thoughts on this. I, you know, I kind of, I knew a little bit about it, you know, before I started researching this, you know, because, um, you know, I spent a lot of time just, uh, you know, watching movies and, you know, TV shows and stuff. Yeah. You know, every once in a while you get, like, a history channel or some kind of special, you know, you know, true crime really, you know, jumps out at mm -hmm. you. So, you know, finding out is, hey, it's America's first serial killer, you know. So right. So, something, you know, kind of really caught my interest. Well, it's also kind of close to where you're originally from. You're from Indiana originally, right? Right, yeah. And, and Illinois isn't that far, you know. It's right. Yeah, so I only live like 50 minutes out of, you know, Chicago. Right? So, see, that's it's kind of close home, you know, to you. Yeah. But, you know, this happened back in, what, 1888, 1889? Yeah, somewhere, somewhere like that. So... Um, but we've actually done quite a bit of research on this, you know, guys. Um, but it actually, for H.H. H. Holmes, actually started back in 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. But H.H. H. Holmes wasn't even his real name. No, he was actually born Herman Webster Mudgett. And that was in... Uh... 
Come on, help me out. I can't remember the, the state. New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Yes, yeah. sir. Okay. Yeah. Uh, his family was actually the first white settlers to that town. Okay. So, uh, township, however they want to call it. He, uh, you know, when he was little, he was raised, you know, with a strict religious yeah. studies, you know. And, you know, but his dad was kind of, you know, an iron fist kind of dad. Mm-hmm. You know? He got quite a bit of whooping yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, he... Uh, you know, he excelled in school, and but it kind of went on the other side. You know, he was kind of bullied, and he was kind of slowly being tortured. And in one instance, you know, a bunch of kids dragged him into the local uh, doctor's office or uh, clinic, and he was forced to confront, you know, a real skeleton. Right. And he said, he said uh, in his autobiography that he... Uh, they actually cured him of the spears, mm-hmm. and they actually led him into uh, adopting medicine. That's right. Decided he thought about becoming a doctor. So, you know, growing up, you know, after a year, uh, you know, he started off at the University of Vermont. And after right. That first year, he uh, enrolled at the University Med- uh, Medical School, uh, University of Chicago Medical School. Yeah. He said that um, the Vermont didn't offer everything he wanted to learn. Yeah. Or he couldn't learn more, any more than what he could, so he went to uh, Chicago to learn more. And he was only in his 20s. Wasn't it? When, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was born in 61, and he, uh, he enrolled in medical school in 82. So yeah. What, 21 years old? Yeah. I mean, it's got to tell you something. The guy wasn't stupid. No. And um, but what uh, what's unique about Holmes compared to most serial killers? He actually you know finished school, yeah, you know, and actually you know graduated you know from medical school. Well, that's like Bundy. Bundy was intelligent, right? You know, he graduated school, he graduated college, you know, and you know with a lot of uh, serial killers that have a high degree of education. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just their brain works on a totally different wavelength than everybody else. Right. So, and you know they say that um, we were talking about the uh, uh, being the first serial killer. The the murders that happened later, mm-hmm. they say wasn't even his first ones. That there's a um, mystery. That goes back to his cousin. That on um, one documentary that um, his his cousin met a um, untimely and weird death. Huh. I think it was like a drowning or something. Yeah. But the, they said that the it, it shouldn't happen the way it happened. Right. So they and that's when he left uh, home the first time. Oh, okay. It's because of that mystery, and then um, he—they said that um, he started to uh, have feelings for his cousin, and they—they they were so young that you know the folks didn't want any of that going on. So, well, you know, he yeah. had to leave again, and then I think that's when he moved, and he moved all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't actually have like where all he lived. Yeah, it was several places. Yeah, there was just so much of it. It was hard to catch yeah. it all. And then, you know, he would meet up with some people and the, he would leave town and then people wouldn't see those people for a while. And then there'd be no sign of them after he left. And they would be like, well, he was boarding at so-and-so's house. Mm-hmm. Well, the owners weren't found. <laughs> and to this day, some of them still haven't been found. Right. There's still, um, and there were some bodies on one documentary at a place where he stayed where they found some bodies, but they were trying to figure out how the people died. Right, because back then you didn't have... have Forensics like right. we have now. And it was like um, two little kids and a woman, if I remember right, on that documentary. 
and they were they've been trying to figure out how they died and what you know what the cause and everything was and some of it looks like blunt from uh, blunt front trauma after they were uh, sedated so he had the so possible chloroform or something yeah. like that so he he put him to sleep and then is when he uh, dispatched them. Gotcha. Which was his motive. Well, not motive, but that's that was his um, thing later on when he was doing his murders. Mm-hmm. He always uh, put somebody out before he killed them. Right. It was never while they were alive, ever. Right. So, I, I couldn't, you know, that, that says something right there. That's just premeditation, period. When you sit there and go, well, you know, I'm going to euthanize somebody, then I'm going to dispatch them. That's just premeditation all the way. Right. So what else did you find out? Well, you know, um, he graduated from medical school in 1884. Right. So he was only in medical school for two years. Yeah. Well, um, the two years that followed that, Mm -hmm. like, you know, he traveled traveled around the country, and he's basically a con artist. Okay. He, uh, he... Kind of perfected his skills in numerous states. He was a, a store clerk. Um, I'm sorry, a drugstore clerk. Okay. Uh, an asylum attendant. Wow. So he actually worked in an asylum. A teacher and, of course, you know, a doctor. Okay. Um, and later on, to kind of keep from everybody, you know, all his creditors and stuff like that, looking mm-hmm. for or finding that's when he changed his, his name. Okay. Um, but, um, it looks like, uh, that's basically when, you know, he moved to Chicago. Okay. Um, so this was around 1886, you know. Right. That's when he, um, He finds work at that E.S. Holton drugstore. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you don't you don't really hear too much about that except several months later. You know, E.S. Holton uh, or Everett Holton, the owner, the owner uh, died of supposed natural causes, and then his uh, his wife disappeared after selling the drugstore to Holmes. Right. I mean, there isn't there like some speculation on the signature of the uh, the transfer of the deed. Yeah, um, you probably have a little bit more on that than I do. Um, they say that when um, the store owner died, H. H. Holmes became a romantic person toward the wife. And then she signed over the business to him, and then a few months later is when she disappeared. But they say that the signature is, doesn't quite match up to her signature. There's like a few things off. Yeah. And that's been current because they went back and through the case studies, they've taken um, forensic handwriting specialists, and they've looked at it. Mm-hmm. And some of the... Uh, Letters are right, but some of them are off a little. Yeah, little bit. off just yeah. a little bit. So they're thinking maybe, you know, since he had power, right. he went in and said that she couldn't show up, whatever the case was, and signed her name. Right. Um, and then you know, of course, she's not to be found. You know. Right. So, and it's not you know that's not the only time that happened. There was one other time when. Um, signature was in dispute and that's when he actually got the the um, signature for the property for his own business later on on um, how, what was the name of the street Eldridge um, where he finally built yeah it was no it was uh, 63rd and Wallace where he put that? Okay. Well, it's the corner. They changed that name of that street. Yeah. Um, 
to more recent. And I was just recently in Chicago, as you know. Yeah. Didn't get a chance. Scheduling wouldn't allow it. Um, but it's now, um, I want to say it's Eldridge. Uh, I can't remember. Um, if you give me a second, I'll be able to think about it. Um, go ahead and let us know some more stuff, man. Yeah. Um, going back to the, the property, you know, back in... 19, or 1888, you know, he secures a lease on a vacant property across from the drugstore. Right. And it said on the southeast corner of the 63rd Morris, which apparently has changed its name. And this is where he built his famous murder castle. You know, the locals, you know, when it was being built, said it looked like a castle. So that's why it was named. Well, that's cool. The murder castle. Well... At that time, it wasn't the Murph Castle. You know, it was just, they call it the Castle. Inglewood. That, that's the part of Chicago's Inglewood. That's well, that's the name of the street now. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, that street is now called Inglewood. Okay. And right behind the lot where the, the castle... Right. The lot's still there, but right behind it is Inglewood Post Office. Okay. Which is kind of unique. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all it is is just a small little green lot now. Yeah. So. But uh, the uh, the castle wasn't like the uh, the first floor. First floor was like it was. Um, it was a business, wasn't it? Well, it had it had several businesses. It had a drugstore and a restaurant. And okay. Um, I think I actually worked some of that stuff I don't remember. Um, no, but it was like, it was not like normal businesses, okay. you know. Uh, there was a blacksmith shop and, um, stuff like that on it. So when did, what, what was Oh yeah, there was a pharmacy, a jewelry store, barbershop. Restaurant and a blacksmith shop all on the first floor. Oh, wow. What, what was the rest of the floors? There was only uh, three there was stores, three, right? There was three stories. Okay. The, the third floor was like, um, was a, where he rented out rooms and offices. Okay. And that's where he actually had his, his own bedroom was on the third floor. Okay. And the second floor was, well, I want to say is the crazy floor. You know? <laughs> the crazy floor. That's a good way to put it. Basically, I mean, the second floor, you know, it contained 35 rooms. The second floor did. Okay. And it was spe specifically designed for killing chambers. Oh, wow. So, um, you kind of go back. Um, no, no one but Holmes knew the structure of the interior. Okay. He would hire people, like, to... Builders and stuff. Right. They some of them he would hire a mason to build a wall and then fire them, or they build build a room and he'd fire them. You know, and it was such had, a high turnover. And nobody thought that was weird. Right. Well, another thing is he would hire all these people and then skip out on paying. Them. Wow. I don't know how he did it. I don't either. Because I'd be busting down the door wanting yeah, money. Thirty-five. You know, if that's thirty-five people. Well, there's more, more than that. That's just room. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like you said, 30, 35 different people building a, building a room. Right. You would want payment. Yeah. And uh, what's funny is, like, as he was building this, he had a huge bank vault brought in mm -hmm. that he bought on credit. Right. He brought it in. He built, built around it. He built the room around mm -hmm. it and refused to pay for it. Well, the bank came in and said, Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna repossess the vault. He's like, Go ahead, but if you damage my building, I'm gonna sue you for all that's right, for every yeah. uh, everything you have. So, I mean, he was one hell of a con artist, you yeah. know. To you know To think that far ahead. Yeah. I mean so. this huge bank vault and just hey, I'm gonna build around it, they ain't gonna touch it. I ain't gonna pay for it, you know? Right. But uh it actually, con considering the place, you know, it had four floors because it had a basement. Okay. 
And basement is, you know, where he had. Ba- but that. It's hard for me to speak for some reason. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Uh, the basement is like. was basically like a medieval torture chamber, you know? Had acid vats and quick lime pits and even a, um, a crematorium. Wow. Which he said was a, like a ceramic blast furnace. Well, that's a good way to. Like, you know, yeah. to hide what you're doing. Right. Um, but that's how he would dispose of these bodies, you know? Didn't he also try to sell some of these bodies? Oh, yeah. Like, he would clean them up and get these skeletons and sell them to medical school and doctor's offices and, you know, all these different places. You know, that um, I think on one documentary that I was watching about this, I think two schools still have the skeletons that were sold to them really? by H.H. H. Holmes. And they're actually trying to find out if it was a cadaver that was already put the, you know put in the ground. Mm-hmm. They just dug up on one of his schemes. Or if it was somebody that actually came in and used the, uh, the rental. I got you. Yeah, and um, and all this happened during the World's Fair too, during that time. Yeah, in eighteen ninety three. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I mean, that's how you find a lot of his victims. Yeah, it's, and it was only what about fifteen minute. It was uh, just a few miles. So. Yeah, it I wasn't mean, that walking, far. you know, a few miles, fifteen twenty. Miles, yeah, so. but um, this is where um, a little bit before the World's Fair is where that um, Benjamin Freeman uh, Pitzel arrives with his wife and five kids. You know, he answers an ad for a bill for a builder. Well, soon soon later, you know, he becomes Holmes' right hand man. Right. And uh, Holmes, you know, you know, they're close and Holmes is kinda like a member of the family. Mm-hmm. You know? Like he loves his kid, you know. Right. Puts his kids and um, and what was funny during the World's Fair, he'd use his kids to go or he'd take them to this world World's okay. Fair, and he would con the elder elderly women into coming back and you know saying, "Hey, you can stay in this, you know, in, in the room, you know, right. give them a room for the night or whatever, you know." Because you got all these people coming in from all over. Yeah. This world's fair. So he would, you know, he'd lead, lead them in. A lot of them he'd lead into these rooms on the, in the second mm-hmm. floor. And he'd go in, he'd lock them in. Well, they're airtight rooms. He'd go into his office where he had a control panel and open up gas vents. Oh, wow. So he would, you know, asphyxiate them. Right. And he had a chute that led from the second floor down to the basement. So he just drop him down. Right. So Excuse never... me, there is a message for you. Hey, guys. Hey, Jarvis. <laughs> Let me silence that. Sorry, guys. Uh, this is what happens when, you know, you're not going to do a whole lot of editing. But, um, yeah, you know, he would, um, and then, that, you know, he would use those, you know, clean up the bodies and sell the skeletons. Right. I think there was one thing I have seen that he even sold a. Oh, this came back to where um, in 1890, his uh, that Julia Connor, right? Uh, you know, his, uh, came his mistress and moved into the castle with her daughter. And um, this is where you know she became pregnant, which I this is part that I I kind of made me think. You know, she came pregnant and wanted to get married. Mm-hmm. You know, and Holmes agreed to marry her only if he could have performed an abortion. Well, you know, when you perform the abortion, you know, and you know, after she agreed, right? Um, her nor her uh, daughter Pearl were ever heard from again. Kind of weird. And uh, a week later. It's where he sold a cone articulated, which, you know, means can move right. around, skeleton to um, Henneman Medical College for 200 bucks. 
mistake. And two hundred dollars is a lot of money. Yeah, two, yeah, it is. I seen like on um, one of the documentaries they're showing like he would purchase these um, like furniture and stuff for these rooms mm-hmm. on credit. Right. Like nine dollars and ninety five cents for a whole bedroom suit. Right. You know? So thank thank man, you know. Yeah, something like that. We you know, you go into like a furniture store now and you get something for your whole room, it's gonna cost you five, six thousand dollars. Right. So So when was the uh the castle when did the plans for the castle get built? I mean designed. No, he finished the plans in uh eighteen eighty eight. All right, and when did they start building? Um, there's kind of a, a period in there where you don't hear anything. Exactly. And that's the theory part I want to get to with you. Um, and, and with that theory... Well, that... that yeah, go ahead. Go all right. Ahead. With that theory, um, the, uh, let's see here. Let me, let me get my notes. Um, Alright, when um, the um, the murder castle, um, he he bought the land to purchase it in July of eighteen eighty eight, but. He didn't start building the castle until spring of 89. Okay? Okay. So, during that one year, there's no record, like you said, of Holmes being in Chicago. He goes quiet. Mm-hmm. And the theory is, and this is from uh, his own great-great-grandson, um, has come out with a theory that um, his great-great-grandfather, H.H. H. Holmes, was Jack the Ripper. And there's kind of some evidence to support that. Right. And... Yeah, that's where I kind of, you know, read, you know. He had finished his blueprints in August of 88. Right. Well, you know, not long after, you know, or dirt about this time, you know, um, Jack the Ripper started prowling the streets. Yeah, you know? and see, a lot of people thought H. H. Holmes got out of town because of all the creditors. Right. Well, yeah, that could be it. But there, you know, um, Jeff Mudgett, who is his great great grandson, mm-hmm. was um, doing, you know, inherited his great-great-grandfather's diaries. Okay. And even though he hasn't published these diaries, this guy's actually wrote a book called Blood Ties. Or, uh, is it Blood Ties? Or Blood Lines. Um, let's see here. But, um, he wrote this book about it. And he says that, um, not only was it him, but he had an accomplice, well, an accomplice with him, which is the guy that you were talking about, who became his quote-unquote friend. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that, uh, yeah, it's called Bloodstains. Was the book? Um, yeah, because that would make sense because Pisco arrived in '89. Yeah. So they had met up between. Between those two time those periods. Two time, yeah. Um, the, uh, let's see. They also found record. Now, this is where Jeff Mudgett, his great-great-grandson, is linking him up. Mm-hmm. The murder started in London when he left. No record of him. Well, they have found record in Whitechapel, London, that H. H. Holmes had property there during the time of the murders. Mm-hmm. Um, says uh, that Jack the Ripper's hunting ground was in Whitechapel neighborhood of London. H. H. Holmes was connected to Whitechapel 
um, through a friend of his named Edmund Buckley, who is a friend of his from the University of Mis uh, Michigan when he went to medical school. Yeah. Um, Buckley came from a wealthy Whitechapel family. Buckley and Holmes were partners in crime, is what they're saying. They ran insurance scams and sold corpse to medical facilities, um, which was not uncommon in London back right. in the 1800s. People had to make money. Right. Um, according to census records, now this is where it's coming from. According to census records, Holmes had a residence in White Trap, uh, Whitechapel, and he got caught trying to sell a cadaver to a local hospital, and a complaint was filed against him. And that was during the time of these murders. Um, but his great-great-grandson went and looked at the uh, shipping manifest during the time frame. Right. Holmes' name isn't even on the shipping list, but his, one of his aliases is going to and coming from. Um, it doesn't list what the... Uh, what it was but he had the medical knowledge to do the do the murders because right. he was a medical student right um, he graduated he knew what a listing knife was which is the knife to use for dismemberment mm -hmm. um, and he also you know he had a knowledge of the anatomy um, there is also now this is something else that's weird. The uh, Dear Boss letter that came from "quote unquote" Jack the Ripper. Right. All right. People have been trying to solve this mystery forever, and no one's ever really gonna know because. But they have taken again a forensic handwriting specialist and compared letters and everything from H.H. H. Holmes, different letters in his diary, you know, and compared it to the Dear Boss letters right. that Jack the Ripper wrote to the police. They compared the, sign the, the handwriting. They're identical. Hmm. So all this information is where his great-great-grandfather is getting the theory that his H.H. H. Holmes, his great-grandfather, or great-great-grandfather, was Jack the Ripper. And he even said in the diary, which, again, he hasn't published, he hasn't given photocopies of or anything like that, that he actually, in the diary, says that he killed women in London with a partner. Hmm. And it said that, um, in the research, it, it says that Jeff Mudgett won't release the diaries because there's no statute limitation on murder. So if something comes up, Scotland Yard can come in, claim the diaries, and they could be lost forever. Right. So that's one reason he hasn't published them. But I think all that's kind of unique for a new theory on who Jack the Ripper was. Yeah. And then when... You know, when the castle was built, or starting to be built, mm -hmm. and he came back to the States, that's when the murders in London stopped. All in that time frame. And it makes perfect sense, if you think about that theory. Yeah, it really does. So, it, it's kind of weird. Um, that, and they also have gone in, and have done a composite oh, and you and I yeah. showed you this picture yeah. um, they did a composite photo of Jack the Ripper using eyewitness accounts from 1888 and there was some eyewitness accounts of a guy right before the murder happened mm -hmm. that people saw <laughs> and um, Scotland Yard in 2006 went in and did a composite taking all the information Bam. This photo, if you would put a bowler-type cap on this guy, 
looks almost identical to ancient Charles. Yeah. And it is so weird. And even the eyewitness accounts say that it was a short guy, stocky build, and that's H.H. H. Holmes' description there because right. everybody said he was a short, stocky guy. Right. And in London, there's not many very short, stocky people. They're kind of, you know, during that time frame, they're all tall, slender. Yeah, tall. Yeah. So, I mean, all these new theories coming out. And this is the best one yet. Right. And it's just, it's interesting that it's, you know, Holmes's, you know, great, great grandson. Mm-hmm. You know, that they started compiling all this data, you know. I see here, I'm trying to, um, what else did you find? Let's see. Um, you know, after the, the Julia Connor, you know, vanished. Right. You know, in 1892, you know, he acquired another mistress, uh, Emmeline Sergeyne, Sergeyne, and what's crazy about this one, he gets this, you know, and she becomes kind of like, you know, a secretary. Mm Mm-hmm. He sends her into the vault to collect some paperwork right. and locks her in. And she suffocates and dies. And then another, um, then you're, or in 1893, he found a new mistress. It was a mini something. I can't, I didn't catch her last name. And he killed her and her sister after getting her to sign over that, um, the property in Fort Worth, Texas. Right. He's going through these mistresses left and right. But what's interesting is uh, when he gets married, like the women, these women he's married. Right. Because I didn't catch the first two, but the third one, he married in 1894, uh, Georgiana Yolk. Okay. And she lived, she lived out her entire life. But in 1893, like before he marries this woman, you know, Holmes and uh, Pitzel, they leave Chicago and travel around for, for several months, you know, going to all these different states and committing different frauds. Mm-hmm. This may have been another time when he was trying to get, uh, get away from his debtors, because this is where he was using a lot of his aliases. Right. And um, then this comes back after he gets married to this Georgiana. It's where um, they travel to St. Louis. And uh, he attempts to swindle a drugstore owner out of his property. And it doesn't work. And the first time, this is the first time that Holmes ends up in jail or in prison. But. Um, he starts, he met. What's interesting is while he's in, in prison, he, uh, you know, talking to her with his cellmate and tells him about this elaborate plan for him and Piscal to, uh, how, how do you call it, um, fake Piscal's death to collect insurance money in Philadelphia. Well, while he's doing this, he gets bailed out by his wife. He's telling her all kinds of lies for him, her to bail him out. I guess because of what it was, you know, she just had to bail him out. Right. You know? um, but then this is where he sent Piscal to, uh, I think it's Philadelphia. I think so. Boston. One of those. And Piscal sets up as a, if, I think it's, yeah, Philadelphia sets up and sets himself up with an alias of B.F. Perry. Okay. And um, he's a patent dealer. Right. So apparently, back then, you could deal out patents. 
you know, you didn't have to. Now the government has to issue them. Oh, you're right. Um, but what's interesting is just one month after this happens, an inventor comes in mm -hmm. to the shop and couldn't find him anywhere. Goes upstairs and finds him dead laying on the floor. Oh, wow. So Holmes went ahead instead of faking his actual death because they were going to, the plan was they were going to fake his death. They were going to find a, a corpse mm -hmm. which Holmes said he could easily acquire. Right. And uh, come up, they came up with this elaborate plan and, yeah. and use that cadaver as a pistol. And that way his wife could get insurance money exactly well come to find out a after after this happens uh, I'm gonna get back into the death a little bit more but you know the insurance company pay, pays his wife you know pays mm -hmm. out insurance on, on to his wife well here comes Holmes and swindles her out of most of the money right so I mean you lose your husband, and they're going to see how, you know, how you have this guy take most of your money, you know? But, um, you know, it was hard, hard for him to, like, to prove back then, you know, how people died. Right. Well, Pitzel, yeah, Pitzel was, uh, the only way they proved, uh, or they were able to prove that he was killed with chloroform mm -hmm. was because there was so much of it in his stomach. Oh wow! That the smell is what. That means he must. It was for. It was probably forced down his throat. throat yeah, for it to get down into his stomach. Yeah. Uh, but even with a, such a large quantity, they uh, they still uh, ruled it as an accidental death. That's crazy. And you know, back then, you know, they didn't use you know use fingerprint. Fingerprint didn't really come around until like 1904 right. when they really started using So they were using all these different measurements and stuff mm -hmm. to identify a body. So something, you know, a chemical compound and stuff like that. They're not going to fool with it. Yeah. Right. Um, but this, this is kind of where, you know, Holmes actually makes a big mistake here when he does this. Um, when he was in prison, he told this guy as the writer plan. He told him, "Well, when we get this insurance money, I'm gonna send you five hundred dollars." Oh, I remember. Yeah, and that. Well, he never sent him the money, so he got this. Um, the guy's name was Hedgepat, something like that. Okay. He uh, he writes to the insurance company and tells them and about this plan. Well, um, the insurance company sends out the Pinkertons. Wow. <laughs> and that's people on, that on you don't want to mess homes. with back then. Yeah. You know, the Pinkertons, uh, they're known, uh, Pinkerton Detective Agency was known for being able to try, you know, to chase a criminal from one side of the country to the other. Yeah. You know, and um, I think they're the ones that uh, come up with... Uh, Jesse James. Yeah. But they also... Um, came up with uh, mug shots. No, they came up with mug shots. They came up with fingerprinting. Yeah. Um, and also they came up with the uh, following of the, uh, I believe, following of the um, uh, history of the person. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't get that. But, um, but So they sent out the Pinkertons after him. Well, they're, they track him down and arrest him like November 17th of 1894. Is that right? 1894? Yeah. In Boston. Okay. So, and he's one you know, some of the insurance company in Philadelphia. Was, you know, Philadelphia and Boston is not that much. Right. You know, that made a difference. But, uh, they transport him back to Philadelphia to uh, monuments prison right um, and he pleads guilty to fraud of the insurance company 
Well, he also, they find out about something else. I, I can't remember the exact details. And then they want to charge him for murder. So then he confesses. Well, they're, they're, this is we're getting into that. He, uh, during this time he's traveling around. Well, after he gets swindles mm -hmm. the wife out of the money. Right. Well, he said it's not safe for her to travel around with these five kids. So he right. takes three of the kids and he's oh, traveling yeah, around. Oh, yeah, because the kids come up missing. Right. Yeah. So his, the older, or the second oldest, the one that's traveling with him, the oldest one that's traveling with him, daughter, is writing these letters to the mother. Right. Well, Holmes never sends them. Okay. So they, uh, while he's in, per uh, in prison, they find the letters, and a detective, Frank Gaia, okay. is, uh, he travels around for months uh, using these letters, and is, uh, he locates the bodies of these three kids. Wow. And so, um, after they find that, they, and it was um, July 19th of 1895. Uh, they enter the, you know, you know, getting all this information. They enter the murder castle. Enter the castle, right? Uh, and found and went down to the basement. That's where they found these acid vats and lime pits, and well, they found human remains mm -hmm. down in there. And I think it was blood, human bones, and bloody women underbones. Right. I know there was personal belongings found. Yeah. And uh, they said wooden dissection tables that was saturated with dry blood. Right. Um, and what's interesting, what's, everything's interesting about this whole story, you know. But they said 50 missing people, like from the World's Fair and all these other yep. things, were traced back to the castle. Right. And so that's when Holmes, you know, they started calling him the Monster 30, 63rd mm -hmm. Street. And the torture doctor, and there was another one, modern bluebeard. Right. So this is when he, you know, they get all the stuff on him, and that's when he uh, gets charged for murder. Yeah. Yeah. He only confessed to 27. That's still a lot, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back then, 27 yeah. murders is a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, he, he actually confessed to 27 murders. Um, of course, there was a lot more. Right. But, I mean, if you're sitting there facing death already, going, yeah, I killed like three, you know. Why like, not 27? You know, eh, 27, what are they going to do, right? Right. So, it's like, I'm not going to tell them any more, I'm just going to leave it at 27. But, at the same time, this is what's weird. Even though nobody can hear it, and I wished that they, they could find a way to transfer it to mm -hmm. um, some kind of a backup system. Right. There's an actual, and this is what's crazy, there's an actual Edison photo uh, cylinder. And what they did is they've actually taken a, uh, it's a cylinder, and they re interviewed H.H. Holmes. And it's got his actual voice talking about some of the murders in the murder castle and how he did it and everything on this cylinder. Well, the cylinders are so old and fragile that the guy that actually owns them mm -hmm. doesn't want to pull them out and hook it up and play them right. due to something might happen, which is understandable. Right. But if there was some way they could take all these old cylinders that safely and safely transfer them over to um, electronic digital. Yeah, they there's so much information on these cylinders that it would be amazing. And just hearing HH's, um, just hearing Holmes' voice itself talking about it would be right something itself to hear. And then you know while he was in prison. They say that people went into the murder castle. They actually, um, eyewitnesses said that they saw people going into the murder castle while he wasn't there, and it caught on fire. Right. See, kind of 
stepping right before that, mm-hmm. that they were wanting to make this like a uh, murder museum, right? A tourist attraction, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know, not long after that, they see these people go in, and then the place catches fire, right? And it stayed gutted for till 1938, wasn't it? I think so. And that's when. That's when it. they tore it down. The city went in, right. and tore it down. But they've never built anything actually. Exactly. Properly. From some research, some some of his family still own that little lot of uh, property, even though back then it was common law that if a person was convicted of murder mm-hmm. they lost all possession right but somehow or another it fell through a loophole and they're saying that some family members or you know still own that little lot and that's the reason why they can't do anything with it right so I got you. but yeah. go ahead oh no i was just gonna say you know um you know, while he was in prison, you know, that's when he wrote his autobiography. Yeah. And he timed it. Holmes' own, own story. You know? Uh, that's what he named it. It was Holmes' own story. You need to find that. You need to read it. Yeah. I've been, I mean, I, I, I've been trying. I go to these different bookstores trying to find. You know, I think I'm going to go to Books a Million. Or, no, Barnes & Noble, which is our local. Yeah. I think I'm going to see if they can get it. And I'm going to order it. I'm going to read it. I mean, that would be interesting yeah, to get in his own mind. But then again, you, you've got to take what he's saying half with truth and half with crap because, I mean, yeah, it's his own autobiography, but you don't know. I mean, the guy was a con artist. Right. So you don't know if he's sugarcoating some things and telling the truth on the others. Right. So it's one of those. Yeah. Uh, and um, in September of 85, when they set, set his trial date, Okay. For the murders. And uh, it actually began on like October, late October. Mm-hmm. October 28, 29th, something like that. And he found guilty of first degree murder. Right. And he was actually hanged on May 7th, of ni- or 1896. So. I'll tell you something weird about his, uh, his uh, burial plot. Mm-hmm. Court, a typical bear plot, you got your headstone. Right. Right in front of it is seven feet or six feet is where they put the casket, right? Right. H.H. H. Holmes had already bought his burial plot and gave directions on how he wanted to be laid to rest. Mm-hmm. You've got his tombstone. Right. But his coffin is not exactly in line with the tombstone it's actually off to the side of it and it's not six feet in the ground it's actually I think they said like ten feet down and there's like a concrete layer over on top of that to keep people from being able to dig, dig him, him up. up yeah I mean, that, you know, I and that was already pre-thought of yeah so, I mean so, he knew he was going to get caught at some point yeah he had he, he had to know you know, and for this guy to go, okay, I'm gonna die of natural causes instead of you know, in say like in London, you know, he knew he wasn't gonna get called in London apparently because he already planned all this out in the states, right, on his burial. So that tells you something about his mentality there. Yeah, and he's already thinking, okay, I'm gonna get called. I'm gonna just make it hard for the next person. So I mean, this is a guy that was ahead of everything until he slipped up, and that's what they said about a lot of serial killers and psycho uh, psychopaths and everything. Mm-hmm. It's not people catching up to them on good detective work and stuff like that, and they are good detectives. I'm not taking yeah. it away from law enforcement, but most of the time, it's the killer or the psychopath that slips up. And when they slip up, that's when they get caught. Right. And that's the case right here. I mean, yeah, that's kind of like, you know, Zodiac. Yeah. Nobody's ever, still to this day, is not no. figured out Zodiac. That's because 
Johnny was hadn't slipped, never did slip up. No, and unlike a lot of other serial killers, he quit. Right. Or I'm not gonna say he quit, quit, but he either quit doing the murders, he quit sent in letters, or he changed his um, killing method. Yeah. yeah, he changed it. And it, he could be killing a totally different way and just not, sent, you know, bragging about it. And, I mean, it's just yeah, the way it yeah. is. Going but, back, back to home, you know, he did, you know, same, same way every time. Mm-hmm. He did exactly the same thing. He got braver and braver and braver until, boom. Made one, forget to pay one person. Yep. Or not forget, you know, because I doubt he forgot. He just wasn't on pain. Yeah, that's just Holmes' mentality. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not going to pay anybody. You know? Right. I don't owe nobody nothing. Right. That was his mentality. And it caught up to him. Yeah. So, man, I love this, this episode. Man. This has yeah. been a good one. It has, and you know, this is where we're, you know, we're gonna let you guys decide, you know. Yeah. It, you know, H. H. Holmes, is it Jack the Ripper? Yeah, it's possible. Um, you know, we'd like to hear your thoughts. You know, so um, hit us up on the website. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how our on hiatus for a while. Yeah. Um, so moving and new places and get unpacked and everything yeah and of course we're at work keeping us busy yep. you know and we're fixing uh, our quote unquote studio is fixing to move again right but it's going to be a, a, a permanent uh, it's, it's going to have its own permanent set, low, setup like, yeah so it's it's going to be our, our studio and the mainstream paranormal office. headquarters yeah. yeah so I can't wait so hopefully when we get that place up or get that place done. We will have start doing video feeds. I was gonna say let's. I was gonna suggest let's do a video podcast. Yeah, and um, so, invite you know invite people in where we're at, like you know yeah. through video. Yeah, and if we can get it set up right, we could probably do a live one. That would be awesome. Yeah, one day do a live uh, video podcast. Yeah, that would be good. And. What is it? Uh, next month, we're trying to do an investigation. Oh yeah, the, the the Shiloh. Yeah. Well, all right. Let me correct that statement. <laughs> um, Shiloh Battlefield in Tennessee. Um, right, five, what is it five miles from the actual battlefield? Right. Um, it's where we've got a possible um, investigation coming up because seeing that the Shiloh Battlefield itself is a federally owned park. We are not allowed to investigate on it. Um, nobody's actually, and I mean nobody, is actually allowed on that thing after dark. Which... Yeah, I think they close the gates at like 6 or yeah, 7. They do. Um, but that's not stopping us. We're occasionally still trying to get into the park and doing an investigation but you know time will tell yep. but right now we're five miles off the battlefield right at, at a location that has supposed activity yeah so can't wait for that um, hopefully get uh, stuff out on the side on that one as well yeah so and that would be a nice interview and any ideas for what our next podcast might be or is it going to be a surprise I right now it's going to be a surprise all right, I, I like. We got so many ideas. Uh, I don't know which one to do next. I like surprises, and I hope you guys do too. And with that, I am going to hand it to Merle for our conclusion. <laughs> Thanks, Evan, man. Yeah, man. Anytime. Bro. Yeah. Um, so I mean, just um, you know, send, send us what you think of this episode. Um, you know, hit us up on Facebook. You know, we like hearing from you guys. And um, so I guess I'm just going to close by saying, you know, I'm Merle. I'm Larry. And we'll see you on the other side. Have a good one.